Well, as we look at God's word together, I invite you to turn in a Bible to Psalm chapter 35, if you haven't already. My name is Brian, one of the pastors here, and look forward to looking at God's word here with you together. And as I think about that video that we just saw, you might look at it and think, you know, it's kind of an odd Happy Mother's Day video in some respects. Yet in others, isn't the most encouraging word, you could say not necessarily the one that, you know, is automatically upbeat and positive and rah-rah and, you know, maybe just glazes past reality, but instead the most encouraging word that uh, says, you know, hey, wait, time out. We get it. This is difficult at times. This is confusing. This is scary. But nevertheless, even in the face of all this hard stuff, even more true is the goodness, the faithfulness, and the sovereignty of God, the God who uh, provides in his providence for us, even in the midst of very real difficulties. Well, you could say that's exactly what the book of Psalms in the Bible does. It never sugarcoats or glosses over tough stuff, but really takes head on and reminds us the, you could say the nevertheless God, God is, God does, God will. And if this is your first time with us looking at the book of Psalms, we're glad to have you. And we would invite you to step into reading the book of Psalms. We have a reading plan on our website, firstdecatur.org. There's a button there that says Psalms. Just click on it and you can get started on that. Uh, but for those of you who have been with us and have been reading through the book of Psalms, you've, you've come across some very difficult, raw, just very real frustrations anger, even depression with the writers of these Psalms being really almost on the brink of complete hopelessness and fear. And some of those Psalms that we've come across, these difficult Psalms, scholars call imprecatory Psalms. Uh, Imprecatory Psalms. Those are Psalms that are written specifically against the difficulties of our enemies, you could say, really like these calling down a curse on an enemy, like the proverbial lightning bolt zap from God. I love to hear one of Wayne's, uh, you could say, imprecatory curses when he's frustrated. He'll, he'll joke, may your nose hairs be infested by the fleas of a thousand camels. And so Psalm 35 is, you could say, one such curse or an imprecatory psalm where we see that, uh, in this case, the author David, as in David and Goliath, David, king of Israel, uh, speaks this against his enemies. He says it this way, Psalm 35, verse 1. He says, contend, Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Verse four, he says, may those who seek my life be disgraced and put to shame. May those who plot my ruin be turned back in dismay. May they be like chaff before the wind. May the angel of the Lord drive them away May their path be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. And it's interesting that as we read these kinds of words, that as we read this psalm, this prayer of David, if we're honest, at least if I'm honest, uh, I almost kind of want to look around and say like, can I really pray like that? Like, should I really be praying that my enemies be like, quote, chaff in the wind, like those corn stalks are on harvest time that are flipping and flopping in the wind? Uh, Should I be able to pray uh, that my enemy's path would be dark and slippery and and that an angel of the Lord is going to pursue? I mean, can we really pray that way? Because 
honestly, even if you haven't been around this whole Christianity thing very long, this whole Jesus thing, most of us, even new to it, know some of the most famous teachings of Jesus include, uh, like in Matthew 5, this idea that when it comes to our enemies, to love your enemies and to even pray for those who persecute you. And so what do we do with this, you could say, apparent contradiction that we read on one hand in Scripture, it's, you know, hey, God, curse those who mistreat me. And yet, on the other hand, we say, uh, it says to do good, to bless those, even pray for those who mistreat you. How can these two coexist? Well, a few responses. Um, in Psalm 35, for example, we see both in this psalm and really throughout the psalms that, first of all, when it comes to these enemies of David, that actually, ultimately, they were enemies of God. These enemies were ultimately enemies of God, that those who David speaks against are against those who do evil, not just against David, but are also doing evil against God's plans, God's people, God's purposes. Uh, to one foreign army, or excuse me, one foreign enemy, which was an army, David says, you love evil rather than good. And while often the enemies were other nations, uh, it could be that God's own people can become the enemy of God's plan and his purposes. As even uh, we see in the story of David, that his own son, Absalom, chose to be an enemy, of, an enemy of God and made plans to overthrow David and his throne, to really come against God's plans, God's purposes in David. And so David in the third Psalm says of his own son and all the army coming against him, he says, Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. And so what we see is that when evil, injustice, oppression, really just sin, anything that is missing the way, the plans, the purposes of God, whenever they take place, whether in another or for honest, even coming from us, then that is setting itself up against God's will and ways against his plans, against his purposes, really putting uh, that person or people uh, as an enemy of God. And so the question then is, how do we respond to such enemies? Well, second, know this or maybe be reminded of this. Secondly, that vengeance ultimately is the Lord's. Vengeance is the Lord's. The book of Romans in the New Testament, actually quoting back to uh, the book of Deuteronomy, says it this way, that uh, we're not to use uh, revenge or take on personal vendettas, chasing those down. It says it this way in Romans. It says, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And so our prayer for the enemies is that they would repent, that they would turn from evil and turn to God's uh, ways and really receive forgiveness. But if they don't, then in the end, they are subject to the Lord's judgment. In the end, it is uh, a score that we don't settle, but it is a, a score that we allow God to settle in his will and ways. Uh, and you could say even in, in David's own imprecatory request against his own son, we see this uh, in Psalm uh, 3, verse 7, we looked at a little bit ago, you know, when he wants to like, God to bust his enemies in the jaw, break their teeth, all that stuff. Uh, the very next verse, verse eight, this is the way David says it. He says, but from the Lord, from the Lord comes deliverance. And so judgment for wrongdoing is never our score to settle. It's God's. 
And so as we consider our part and God's part in this whole deal, I would say thirdly, or God's word would say thirdly, remember who the enemy really is. Remember who the enemy really is. Ephesians 6.12 says it this way, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so our fight, it's not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's, uh, you know, it often can seem that way. It can seem like our enemy is maybe our coworker or even our own spouse or our kids. But make no mistake, 1 Peter 5, 8, the devil is our enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking to devour you. And so in this cursed and fallen world, he looks to how he can devour our relationships, how he can devour our physical bodies. He looks as to how he can devour, uh, you could say, us in the battle between our ears, uh, the battle in our minds, like, like the mother in our video. You know, how often the enemy, arguably in more than any other space, is the enemy at work inside of our own heads. And so how do we take on this enemy? What's our battle plan? What does God give us? And, and we want to look at that. We're going to look back at what the Psalms have to say about very practical ways that you and I can engage the enemy. Um, but just for me, just being real honest, I'd say um, in a little moment of transparency that over this past year, I was in a pretty difficult struggle against the enemy who was wreaking havoc in my head in a lot of terrible ways. And this next song that, that you're going to hear, that we're going to sing, and when I say this, I'm serious, the lyrics of this sermon, uh, or really the lyrics of this song, you could say, was the best sermon I heard in those times. When it comes to what do we do, what's our understanding when it comes to the enemies that we face? And so I'll invite you, don't go all ADD on me and check out on this because, hey, you know, singing in my living room just ain't my thing, whatever. Listen closely, reflect. I would encourage you, sing, pray, agree with this song as your prayer, as what for me, again, was the truest truth. It's a song straight out of God's word when it comes to taking on the devil and his demons and his schemes as he prowls around, uh, as we recognize and remember who our enemy really is and who it is that goes to battle for us against that enemy. darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. Oh, my God will never fail. I'm gonna see your victory. I'm gonna see your victory.
spoken and sung in worship, giving worth to who God is, is arguably the most practical thing we can do. It's where we are able to proclaim the word of God in song, where we just saying that no weapon formed against us will prosper nor prevail. That's right out of Isaiah chapter 54, uh, or from Genesis chapter 50, where uh, Joseph in his own brothers has been made an enemy. They tried to kill him, but at the end, God uh, works through it. The victory is his as Joseph is able to say, quote, what you meant for evil to his brothers, God has turned it for good. And so we proclaim that we know how this story ends. We know that we are going to see a victory over the enemy that manifests itself in our relationships, in our bodies, in our minds. That as the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And so as we continue to explore practically, how do we practically engage the enemy, effectively, you could say, doing battle against the enemies that manifest themselves in our lives that is a result of the enemy, uh, well, the imprecatory psalm of Psalm 35 that we looked at uh, really is part of, you could say, a package of psalms of Psalm 34 through 37. We looked at Psalm 34. Uh, Lacey read that over us in the context of worship. We've been studying 35. And then Psalm 37 is an intentional follow-up to that imprecatory psalm, to how do we deal with our enemies in that Psalm 37 is really considered, you could say, a wisdom psalm. Uh, that the wise counsel of God is given to us as to how do we deal with the enemy uh, who is turning all of our world against us. And so how do we do battle? Uh, we're going to take a look at Psalm chapter 37, verses 3 through 8. So if you want to turn in your Bible uh, with me. And so rather than just tell you what God's Word says, I want us to discover it together as we interact with God's Word uh, in Psalm 37 here. And you can see here from my own Bible that I have done my own share of interaction uh, in my own personal devotional time. Uh, this, you know, even prior to doing this series, but I thought it would be uh, helpful for us to interact with God's Word rather than me just tell you, and also just see some ways in which you can do this on your own as well. And so we'll start with a clean sheet here and my Sharpie. Um, pro tip, I wouldn't recommend using a Sharpie in your Bible. It will bleed through lots of pages, but for our purposes here, we're good. Okay, so what I like to do is, uh, first, I try to circle things that are applicable, that what I feel like God's Word is telling me to go and do. And so we see in this, it says, trust in the Lord and do good. And so first thing we want to do is trust uh, in God. And the second thing out of the overflow of that is to go and do good. And so you could say that this hangs on uh, the two commandments that Jesus says all the commandments hang on when he's asked the two greatest, or what's the greatest commandment. He says the first one is love or trust in the Lord with everything you've got. And then from there, go and serve and love others. Trust God and do good. And one of the greatest ways to overcome our enemies, to overcome difficulty, is actually in the doing of good to help other people overcome their enemies. Okay? Uh, from there, it says to take delight. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And so what it's saying here is that when we take delight in God, that when our joy, our definition, that who we are is in the Lord alone, it goes on to say that we will get the desires of our heart. Now, time out. That doesn't mean that God's just going to give us everything we want, but more accurately, that when we make the Lord the desire of our heart, that there's this full circle understanding that Jesus, Jesus the Lord, that he then actually becomes that desire, that when we delight ourselves in God, that he becomes enough. As it says in Psalm 23, 1, that the Lord is our shepherd, therefore, there is nothing else wanting within me, or as the Apostle Paul says, your grace is sufficient. It's all I need. Okay, from there, we, we commit our ways. We commit, you could say, uh, our plans to the Lord, and we trust him as we navigate how do we take on the enemy manifesting itself in my relationships, in my body, in my mind. And then from there, as we pray and trust our plans to God and seek wise counsel and things of that nature, uh, we, from there, it says to be still. Be still, and I'm gonna put this with this one, wait patiently for him. This understanding that it is God's battle, not our own, and so be careful about fretting and frenetic energy, frenetic energy as if you're going to win the victory. It is God's victory. So you be still and you wait patiently. That word patiently there, it literally means long suffering. And sometimes that's what we're up against, a very long suffering through uh, overcoming an enemy or a trial or a difficulty. 
uh, as it says, and actually in Psalm 59, I, one of my favorite understandings of this, it says, uh, the psalmist says of the Lord, says, do not take my enemy out too quickly. It says, take them apart slowly, piece by piece, so that we might not forget that it is the Lord that has done this. In other words, if we overcome our trials, our difficulties, our enemies too quickly, then we might too quickly forget that it is God who has brought us that victory. And then from there, this is, uh, you could say, uh, a to-not-do. Just as important on any list of a to-do list is our not-to-do list. And we see here in verse 8 that we are to refrain from anger, uh, turn from wrath, and to not fret. Because, ironically, in our effort to defeat our enemy, if we start giving into anger ourselves and wrath and fret, then we too, as it says in verse 8, might lead to our own evils, our own poor choices, our own sin. And so this is how God has framed uh, us practically to engage the enemy. Uh, but just kind of a peek inside like the real life of Brian Tolte. I'll be honest, I went through this psalm in my own devotional time a number of months ago, and I woke up the next day realizing how, frankly, what a lousy job I did at doing, basically accomplishing none of this. It was an awful day, and I looked back and said, what did I do wrong? And I went back through the same passage, and what I realized was the reliance, the mistake I had made on depending upon myself rather than that the battle belongs to the Lord and thus the victory is his. And so I went back and said, okay, remind me what God does in this. And I, and I look back and I put kind of big squares around what God's gonna do versus what I'm gonna do. And it says in verse four, who's it say? Is, am I gonna do it? No, it says, he will. He will give you the desires of our heart, which will ultimately become him when we delight in him. Or here it says in verse six, it says, he will. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication, remember, vengeance is the Lord's, like the noonday sun. And so in all of it, we remember, it's not our fight. It's God's fight that we're joining in him, that it is spiritual warfare, that he is the one who goes to battle, and that the victory in the end is not of our own doing, but of the Lord's. As I consider all of this, um, and I think about uh, what Jesus invited us to remember him in uh, the sacrifice that we experience in communion. Uh, when it comes to the victory, the battle belonging to God against our enemies, uh, and I think about the table, uh, I think about Psalm 23, uh, which is arguably the most well-known psalm in all the Bible, uh, arguably the most well-known passage in all the Bible. Um, you might recognize it. It starts off, as we said earlier, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not be in want. And I love the end of that psalm where it says that the Lord, as our good shepherd, says he's like a host at a banquet. And at this banquet meal says that you prepare a table, a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Which honestly, I'll, I'll, I'll just say that that used to confuse me. Like, why would I want to sit at a table with a bunch of my enemies? Like, wouldn't I rather go be seated at another table with my friends or something? But the reality is, in this life, you will have trouble, Jesus says. In this life, you will never fully rid yourself of the enemies that we face because of the enemy who, it says in 1 Peter, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking uh, as to whom he might devour as he devours our relationships, our bodies, and uh, the enemy uh, at work in our minds. That these, you could say these uninvited, these unwelcomed 
enemies will always be pulling up chairs to our table. But nevertheless, may we always remember, you could say, the one who sits at the head of the table, the host, as it says in the Psalm, the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And that rather than fix our eyes on our enemies, that we want to fix our eyes on the host and what he provides, what he does, that he leads us through the darkest valleys, that his rod and his staff, they're going to come for us, they're going to uh, go to battle for us. So much so, it says that the good shepherd of John 10, 11, says that the good shepherd, he lays down his life for his sheep. And so at our life's table, in the presence of our enemies, we fix our eyes on the host, the good shepherd who laid down his life and invited us to remember that sacrifice, his, his body through uh, bread and his shed blood through a cup. That as we realize that we, in light of what Jesus did for us, Romans 5.10, that we then are, it says, no longer enemies of God, but now we, we're not enemies of God in our sin. It is forgiven and we are now sons and daughters seated at the table with the good shepherd who laid down his life for you and for me. And so as we participate in this next song that speaks right to this, I invite you to have uh, some bread, something to drink together as we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and for me.